Well, good morning. It is fantastic to be in uh, Robinson, and we are so excited about what God is doing here uh, through Tom and all of those of you who are involved in leadership here in Robinson and all of our campuses to see what God is doing and the things that are going on. Again, we are so thankful uh, for what uh, he has done in bringing the campuses together. So about a month ago, we were here in this room, and we had about 200 people from all over uh, our campuses, and we were involved in uh, strategic planning for the next three years of our church. And that's been an exciting venture for us. We started about a year ago. Patrick O'Leary, who's uh, from uh, the Robinson campus, helped us get started in this, and he did such a good job and helped us uh, start thinking about some things we really needed to focus on. And we've been doing that over the last year. And so we met in here to start the implementation of that. We have about three goals that we're going to focus on over these next three to five years. One is we want to be an Ephesians 4 church. Now, when I say that, we've been focusing on that for a long time, but that's a refocus. And when I say Ephesians 4 church, uh, Paul says in Ephesians 4 that there are those he appoints to, to lead the church in order to equip the saints for the work of the Lord. And so we are wanting, we are refocusing on making certain that every person who comes to the Bible chapel learns what their gift is, how they can use their gift, and they're equipped and trained to do the work of the Lord. The second thing, the second goal, has been empowering the, um, the multi-sites. Every multi-site uh, uh, is in a different spot. Uh, there are different needs of that community, and we want to empower the multi-sites to do what God is calling uh, that particular body to do. And the last thing is assimilation. We have to do better at making certain a person from the park, we call it the parking lot to plug in. Parking lot, when you park your car inside the building, finding where you're supposed to go, getting involved in a small group or getting connected in some way, going through living ground and getting discipled, getting grounded in the faith, um, making certain that you know other people and you interact with other people and you grow in your walk with Christ. And so that's the whole assimilation pro uh, process, parking lot to plug in. So we've been talking about that, and that has given us a lot of time to dream about what God has wanted us to do. And the thing that we have learned is we can talk about these things, we can do all these things, we can put strategic plans in place, but it doesn't start top down, does it? Never. It's always about what God is doing in our lives every day, how we are walking with him, how we are following him, and how we are obeying him. So that's what we want to talk about today as we continue our series through 1 John. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to 1 John. We're going to be at the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. 1 John 2.28 through 3.3. 3. And uh, 1 John, find the book of Revelation, last book of the Bible. Turn back four books and you are at that letter that John wrote from the church in Ephesus. Let's pray and ask God for his help, and then we'll start our, our uh, consideration of 1 John. Th Father, thank you that you're a God who loves us and you care for us, and we come today with different situations. You know every need. You know everything going on in our life. You know every, uh, uh, every, every disappointment. You know every joy. Father, you're the only one who can meet us where we are, and you're the only one who can then take us where we need to be. 
So Father, I pray that you would speak to us as we look at your word today. I pray that you would, you would by your spirit, not only teach us, but challenge us, encourage us, motivate us to be the man, the woman of God that, uh, that you desire us to be during this, during this one and only life that we have. So we commit our time to you, asking for your help in Christ's name. Amen. Before we look at First John, real quick, uh, let's do a little review. Remember, John is writing this book, and he is the last living disciple at this time. It's about from anywhere between 85 and 95 A.D., not for sure the exact time frame. He's the last living disciple. Just think about the authority that would have carried. Uh, think about uh, the influence that he would have had. He's also a man in his 70s or 80s in a day when the life expectancy was less than 50 so he is an elder statesman in the church. When Jesus spoke from the cross, remember, he said, John, take care of my mother. And John did that in Jerusalem until Mary died, church history tells us. And then he moved with some others to Ephesus. Ephesus was a large city, an influential city. And a lot of Christians moved there. And John moved to Ephesus. And from Ephesus, between 85 and 95, he wrote five books. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then from the Isle of Patmos, where he was exiled for a time, he wrote the Revelation, moved back to Ephesus, and there he died as an older man. Anytime you read a book of the Bible, you can discern what the subject is or why the author wrote the book. Sometimes it's inductive. You have to read it and figure out why the author wrote the book. Sometimes it's deductive. The writer will tell us from the very beginning why he wrote it. That's what he does in the Gospel of John. And that's also what he does throughout 1 John. Five reasons that he writes this epistle to the churches that surround Ephesus. Probably the seven churches mentioned in Revelation. First, he, want, he writes it to encourage true Christian belonging. Every Christian needs to belong. John likes the word fellowship. Every Christian needs to be involved in the lives of others. Every, uh, every Christian needs community. Every Christian needs that sense of belonging. It's never good for a man to be alone. We read that back in Revelation, and we see that throughout Scripture. And so community is a huge part of what John does. Secondly, to help believers experience true joy. I don't know about you, but you can go through some tough stuff in life, right? Some really hard times, some disappointments, some discouragement, disillusionments. But there is a joy when we're walking with Christ. There is a joy that, that undergirds all that, that supersedes all that, a peace that passes all understanding, Paul would say. And so John wants us to know about that joy. Thirdly, to help believers avoid falling into patterns of sin. Certainly we want that in our life. To guard believers from false teaching. John is writing to a group of people who uh, are under the umbrella. There's a heresy going on at this time called Gnosticism. And there are there's a lot of facets to Gnosticism, but two things. There are, there's a group that denies Jesus was human, and there's another group that denies Jesus was God. And so John writes to say, I saw Jesus. I was with Jesus. I touched Jesus. I walked with Jesus. I saw him die on a cross. I watched him as he rose from the dead. I saw him alive after, after his death. I know that he is fully God and fully man. And the things that I have to tell you you need to know, and you need to accept, and you need to use that to build your faith. The last reason that John writes his book is to allow believers to know with certainty that they are 
children of God and will forever be. That you can have assurance of your salvation. That's the doctrine we call eternal security or perseverance of the saints. So know without any doubt that when you close your eyes in death, you'll see Jesus face to face. Not think it, not hope it, not wonder if it could happen, but know it. When I grew up, I went to a church that didn't hold to that. And so most of my early days growing up until my 20s, I believed I could lose my salvation. I believed I could get kicked out of God's family. I thought I could be a Christian one day and because of my sin, not be a Christian the next day. And I pictured, if I looked at the book of life, I just pictured this in my mind, there was, a, there was like a hole right there where my name was, where it had been, my name had been written in and erased so many times. And there was a day when I was around 23 years old when I realized for the first time from Scripture that I was a child of God and will forever be. And it was like a load was taken off of my shoulders. So John wants us to know that. And if you don't know that today, man, I would love to talk with you about that. To know that you can live with certainty. That doesn't give us a license to sin. That gives us a freedom to do what God's calling us to do. So John writes for those five reasons, and today in our passage, there's kind of a, it's kind of a solemn thought that John wants us to, to think about the end. He wants us to think about the end in mind and then work from there. He wants us to think about when we stand before Jesus, what that's going to be like, and allow that to motivate how we live our lives today. So John chapter 2 Verse 28, John says, and now little children abide in him. Let's just stop there. When you see the word and, that's a connective, right? So we know that John is tying this into something he's already said. And he told us in verse 27 that we have been anointed by the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit now lives in us. We have everything we need to live a life that pleases God. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do everything that God has called us to do. God will never call, uh, as, a, as a Christian, God will never call us to do something that he doesn't give us the strength or the gift or the resource to do. So you've been anointed by the Spirit, and now he says little children. That's an interesting word that John always uses, uh, John uses a lot throughout 1 John. Little children, he's saying you are believers. He's writing this specifically to believers. Sometimes he's writing to the false teachers, but here he says, I want you as believers to know this and understand this. He says, and now, little children, abide in him. Remember, you've been anointed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you. You have everything you need, and now I want you to abide in him. This is a favorite word of John's. He uses it a lot uh, in 1 John. Um, Some uh, other words, other synonyms would be fellowship, uh, community, uh, walking with God, having a relationship with God. Uh, you know, growing in, in our time and in, in our experience with God. John likes the word abide, and the word abide really has two meanings to it. It's kind of a word that's, that's deep and wide at the same time. The first part of the word abide means to persevere. You continue, you stay, you keep walking with God. Don't give up. There are going to be a lot of challenges. John's already told us that we live in the world, right? He told us back in chapter um, 2, verses 15 through 17, that the, that the desires of the flesh and the desires of, eye, of the eyes and the pride of life, they're always going to be coming at us. We live in a world that's opposed to God. But stay in with 
Jesus. Keep walking with him. Don't give up. Don't give in. Abide with him. Remain with him. But it's also a word that tells us to grow deeper, more intimate with him, in your knowledge of him. Uh, Be those who are in God's word. Be those who are in community together. Be growing in your knowledge and your intimacy of God. And John says we need to do that for this reason. He, he tells us why we need to be abiding in Christ. Why we need to be growing. Look at the second part of the verse. If we'll go back to chapter 2, verse 28. Now, little children, abide in him so that, here's the reason, here's the reason, so that, When he, Jesus, appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. So let's think about that. John says there's going to be a day when Jesus comes back. Jesus told us about that day. He said no one's going to know when it is. It's going to be unexpected. It's going to be sudden. And John says there's going to be a day when Jesus appears. Now, there are a lot of people today who like to study the end times. There are a lot of people today who like to take a class on the end times, hand out pamphlets on the end times, and tell everyone what the date is that Jesus is coming back. John says, I'm not telling you Jesus come back for that reason. It's fine to take a class, and it's fine to, you know, to be expecting Jesus to come back. We should be doing that. But John says, I'm telling you that because he, he's coming back. We just don't know when it is. But I'm telling you that so that you live today a life of obedience, a life of growth, so that when he comes back, you can stand before him with confidence and not shame. There's going to be a day when you're going to stand before him. Is it going to be with confidence or shame. Now, just to be clear, John is writing. Remember, he said, and now little children. So he's writing to believers. So we're not talking about uh, heaven or hell. We're not talking about losing your uh, relationship with Jesus. You're going to appear before him as a child. He'll talk about that in a second, as God's child. But when you do, will you be able to stand before him with confidence? That word means uh, freedom to speak. Freedom to speak courageously. Freedom to speak boldly. Uh, Hiding nothing. Having nothing hidden. Will you be able to approach Jesus with confidence or in shame? Remember when you were a little kid and you got in trouble during the day? I know that you guys are looking at me like that's never happened to anyone here. And your dad came home, right? And your mom said, wait till your dad gets home. And if you were in trouble, what did you do? You approached him with, with shame. I'm in trouble. I did something I shouldn't have done. You didn't lose your place in the family, but you knew that you had done something that displeased your father. But when you'd had a good day and your dad came home, what did you do? You ran to meet him. You, you wanted to see him. You wanted to get out the baseball gloves and start playing catch, right? 
you approached him with confidence. And that's what John's telling us here. When Jesus appears, and he's going to, we don't know when, but will you appear before him with confidence? Will you appear before him with shame? That's why John says, abide in him. Remain in him. If we could chart that word abide, it would look something like this. So here's our life, right? We're loving our life. And there comes a time when we trust in Jesus alone as the only way to have a relationship with the living God. The more we grow, the more we realize it's God who got our attention and brought us to himself. That may, I don't know how that came about for you. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home and that happened early on. Yeah, just almost naturally, it's still a, a, a supernatural thing, a transformation that took place in your life, but it happened early on. Maybe when you got married, you said, eh, this is for real. And so I'm going to get serious about my my walk with Jesus. I'm going to try to figure out what this is like. Maybe I talk to a lot of people when they have children. Man, you bring a new life into the world and you say, this is serious stuff. We've got to put our big boy and big girl pants on now, right? This is a new baby and we're going to, we're going to be the ones who lead this child. We're going to get serious about whatever this walk with Jesus looks like. So I don't know what it was that brought you to Jesus. I don't know what he used to bring you to himself, but here you come to this point in theology. We call that justification. He cleanses us. He makes us righteous. He allows us to be his child. And when we do that, we start this journey. And part of the journey is uh, falling in, 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 in love uh, with, with, with Christ. Sorry for my writing here. Falling in love with Christ, right? Uh, learning more about God. And when we learn more about God, we learn that he's holy and he's perfect. And he loves us with this amazing love. And so this continues to grow. Also, as we continue to learn more about God and we get closer. John's told us that God, you know, God is light. In him is no darkness. So when we get closer to God, we also see ourselves in a clear light, right? I had uh, two older sisters, and they had these makeup mirrors. You ever seen these things with magnifying mirrors with lights on both sides? You ever see those? Man, that is a scary thing to do, isn't it? <laughs> to look into those, you see every blemish, every part of your face. Because the light's on. The magnifying glass is on. So it is when we learn more about God. Kind of the magnifying glass goes on. And we say, you know what? I thought I was doing pretty well, but I got to crank it up some more. And I thought I was doing pretty well, but I got to crank it up some more. Growing in crisis, we keep cranking it up. So the more we walk with Christ, the more we see our, our sinfulness. Here's the cool part. When we start out here, you know, we, we trust in Jesus. We know he saved us. We trust in him alone as the only way. And we still think, eh, we kind of did that on our own. It's pretty cool the way that worked out. That was kind of my decision, and I kind of trusted in Christ. And then the more we grow, the cross just becomes bigger. We realize what Jesus has done for us, the price that he paid, what he, what, what he sacrificed for us on the cross. This thing about being a, a believer, having confidence that we are a child of God and will forever be. And as we grow the cross just keeps getting bigger. That's what it means to abide in Christ. The, the, the work that Jesus did is appreciated more and more. 
The cross becomes bigger in that sense in our life. Now, some may say, well, okay, that's, that's fine. I want that to happen. I don't, I don't want to shrink back uh, when I stand before Christ. I want to, I want to stand with confidence, but, but how do I do that? Or how do I know I'm doing that? How do I know I'm doing, never had that question, how do I know I'm doing enough? Well, here at the Bible Chapel, we like to think about growing in Christ. We call it the five essentials. And while you can only, it's only God making you grow, there's some things that you can do, empowered by him, to grow in your walk with him. <clears throat> we believe these are the five things you have to be doing to grow in your walk with him from Scripture. We call it word, worship, connect, serve, share. You guys know these. Stand with me. You ready? Word, worship, connect, serve, share. So let's think about that. The first thing, if we're growing, if we're abiding in Christ, we need to be in the word. We need to be reading the Bible every day. It's God's love letter to us. Any relationship we have with a husband or a wife or a friend, we're going to be interacting with that person. We're going to be texting them. We're going to be calling them. We're going to be talking to them face to face. Any relationship we have that we want to grow calls for communication. And so part of the communication we have from God is his love letter to us. He has written this so that we can know how to live. He tells us in First, uh, Second Timothy, all Scripture, the whole Bible, is breathed out by God and is profitable. Here's, here's what it's good for. Here's the benefits of it for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. So the Bible tells us how to live. It tells us when we've taken a detour. It shows us how to get back on the main path. And then it trains us how to stay on that path. Teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness so that the man, that's generic, man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We stand before God equipped for every good work when we are reading his word. So in the word. Secondly, worship. Here we don't, we don't think of worship as just coming and singing some songs on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night service. We think about worship as honoring God with everything I have all the time. So worship happens just as much when you're on 79 and a car cuts in front of you. Your response to that, that's a little convicting for me, but your response to that is worship just as much as when you come and sing songs in church. My David, how you do relationship, how you do marriage, honoring God for all that he's given me. Then connection, word worship, connect. Are you connected with another believer? Are you in a small group? Men, are you in an accountability group? Women, are you in an accountability group? People to walk life with you. Christian life was never meant to, li to be lived solo. Genesis says it's not good for the man to be alone. We always think about that as marriage, but God says no. It's not good for a person to be alone. That's repeated through Scripture. And if you look at uh, 2 uh, Samuel chapter 11, you see that David was alone, and something good did not happen after that. It's not good for a man to be alone. You need to be connected. You also need to be uh, serving. What's your gift? Word, worship, connect, serve. What's your gift? 
How are you going to use your gift to serve others? 1 Peter 4.10 says every believer has at least one gift and should use it. And then sharing the message of Christ. Are you telling others about Jesus? If you're a believer, word, worship, connect, serve, share. Now, how many of you, when's the last time, I ask this, when's the last time, don't say it publicly, when's the last time you shared Jesus with another person? You talked to another person about your relationship with Jesus Christ. We like to tell people about the coolest restaurant we've been to. Our diner. I like to tell people about diners I've been to. We like to tell people about a trip we took. But when is the last time you told someone or talked to someone about this eternal relationship you have with the living God? So John is saying, believers, Jesus is coming back or you're going to die and you're going to see him face to face. Are you going to be able to approach him with, with confidence, with boldness? Or will you shrink back in shame at his coming? Look at verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. John is the writer, the gospel writer, who gives us this phrase, born again or born from above. Remember Nicodemus in John 3 came to Jesus and said, how do I have this relationship with the living God? And Jesus said, you must be born again. Spiritual transformation. We are sinners, and God transforms our heart. Paul says in another place, he makes us a new creation. The old is gone. Uh, the new, uh, he makes us a, a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. He transforms our heart. And John uses this word born again here to say <clears throat> we have been born from above. We've been born again by God. He is righteous. He is right in everything he does. There is no sin in him. There is no error in him. And now as his child, being born from him who is righteous, we are to be those who practice righteousness. We are to be those who live in obedience. We are to be those who do the things that God has called us to do. Now, it seems that as John is writing this, he almost stops here, puts down his, his quill, and just is amazed at who God is. Look at what he does in chapter 3, verse 1. John says, Behold, look, see, Take notice, contemplate, stop what you're doing. See, or behold, what kind of love. The old King James says, what manner of love. If you read the New International Version, how great the love of the Father. This word literally means from another country. John says, the love of God I can't even explain in earthly terms. Is like it's from another world. See, behold, don't miss. Contemplate. Think about it. the love that God has given to us or has lavished on us that we should be called what? Children of God. And so we are. That we should be called children of God. And so we 
are. Just think about that. You are a child of the living God. You are a son or daughter of the living God. That will never change if you've trusted in Jesus. You will always be a child of the living God. Nothing can take that away. We like to use the um, acronym SAFE with two S's when we think about what it means to be a child of God. First, we are a child of God. We are in Christ, a child of God. We are significant. We don't have to find our significance in our job. Our job can go away. We didn't lose our significance. We don't have to find uh, our significance in a relationship. That relationship can go away, and we're still significant. Our significance comes from our relationship with the living God. We are children of the living God. God has lavished his love upon us. Not only are we significant, but we are secure. Nothing can take away this relationship. Nothing can take away the relationship we have with the living God. We are accepted. We will always be accepted into God's family. Remember the prodigal son away, living in sin, doing his thing. But remember when he came back home, the father was there with arms wide open and said, my son who was lost. He didn't say, you're you're not my son anymore. He said, my son who was lost is back home. We will always be accepted by God. Significant, secure, accepted, forgiven. Aren't you glad you've been forgiven? That our sins are wiped away. The penalty of sin is gone. We will never be accused because of Jesus. We will never be accused of our sin. Will we sin? Absolutely. The penalty is gone. The propensity to sin remains. But then John tells us if we confess our sins, what? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are children of God. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not believe in him. That's why we're foreigners here. That's why it's different. That's why John has just talked about the false teachers always opposing Christ and opposing us. But we are children of God and will forever be. Look at verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children. John repeats it. He says it again. We're God's children now. That's happening right now. We're God's children now. We are as good as in heaven. Our eternal life starts now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. What we will be when Jesus comes back or we go see him in our death, we don't really know what that's going to look like. We're not for certain. We just know it's going to be different than what we are now. But we know... We don't know all the details of that, but here's what we know. We know when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him. Now, what does he mean, we'll be like him? It doesn't mean we're going to be a little God. That's what some false teaching would say. We're going to be a little God. We're going to be little Christs. Not what this is saying. Think of it this way. One of the things we talk about when we... Um, explain growing in our walk. We say we want to be more Christ-like, right? You've heard that? We want to be more Christ-like. And when we say that, what we're saying is we know we can't, we can't be perfect like Jesus, but we want to certainly be to sin. We can't be sin-less, but we want to sin less. We want to grow in our walk with him. 
um, we see the way Jesus treated everyone. We want that compassion to everyone. We see how Jesus accepted everyone, even people who were in dire sin. The Pharisees said, how can you eat with those sinners? But Jesus said, I have a message for them. I want to change their life. And so we want to have that compassion for people. We want to forgive people like Jesus did, right? Not, we can't do it perfectly, but we want to be Christ-like. And so John says, when he appears... And when we take on this new form of heaven, we will be finally Christ-like. We won't be Christ. We won't be God. But we'll have this brand new eternal life where sin doesn't exist anymore, where disease doesn't exist anymore, where racism doesn't exist anymore, where partiality doesn't exist anymore. We will be Christ-like. Then John says, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who hopes in him, everyone who has confidence in Jesus, everyone who has a relationship with him purifies himself. John's not saying we're the ones who bring on salvation. We're the ones who purify our hearts. He's already told us that it, that cleansing comes from Jesus alone. But he is saying, now he's back to the disciplines, right? When we're in the word, when we are living a life that pleases God, when we are worshiping him, when we are, when we are connected with other believers, when we are serving, when we are sharing, we are living out the disciplines that produce the obedience in our life. God's work in us produces this obedience that should come from our life. Obedience doesn't produce righteousness. Our new position in Christ produces the obedience that we should have. So this is kind of a solemn passage, isn't it? Confidence when he appears or shrinking back. John says, I want you to think about that. It's going to happen. We don't know when. We don't know if we're going to meet Christ in death or if he's going to come back and appear. But it's going to happen. One of these days, we're going to stand before him. And John said, I want to tell you that now. I want you to see that big picture. And now back up. What are you doing today that you're going to stand before Christ with tomorrow? How are you spending your time all of us are different in this room, different ages, different stages of life, different things going on, but all of us have 24 hours a day. God has given us that gift. And so we can't say we're too busy to be in God's word. We're, we're, we're too, we just can't work it in to spend time in God's word. God has given us um, gifts. Are you using the gift he gave you? Are you using the gift he gave you to serve him and serve others. That's what he tells us in 1 Peter 4. And God has given us resources. We're wealthier than, than the rest of the world. Whatever status we are here, wealthier than the rest of the world. How are we using our money? How are we using the resources that God gave us? It all comes from him. Since it comes from him, it's his gift. How are we using the gifts that God has given us? 
So I heard the story of John and Mabel. Mabel and John were in their 80s, and every year they went to the county fair. And um, this particular year they went, and Mabel had just turned 80, and there was a helicopter there. They could take helicopter rides. And Mabel says, John, I have always, I've always wanted to go on a helicopter ride, always, since I was a little girl. Always want to go on a helicopter ride. And John says, look at the cost, Mabel. It's 50 bucks for both of us to go. We're not spending $50 on a helicopter. $50 is $50. So Mabel said, all right. So the next year they went. And again, Mabel said, John, come on, man. A helicopter, I've always wanted to go on a helicopter ride. Always, my whole life. And John said, we've been over this before. 50 bucks, $50 is $50. So every year they went back. Finally, Mabel is 90 years old. She says, John, look, this is, I don't know how many times I'm going to be like, this is like my last shot. Please, let's go on this helicopter ride. And John said, Mabel, we've been over this how many times? $50 is $50. The pilot of the helicopter heard overheard them and said, here's the deal. I'm going to make a deal. You guys come every year. You never ride the helicopter. Make a deal with you. I'm going to give you a ride on the helicopter for free. Won't cost you a thing if during the ride you don't say a word. Not a word. Silence the whole time. If you say one word, if you make one sound, then it's going to cost you $50. But free if you don't talk. So they said, that's pretty cool. We'll do it. So they buckled in, and the helicopter pilot took them on a ride. He took them out, and he went straight up in the air, and then he went straight down, and then he went this way and that. Helicopters can't fly upside down, but he even flew upside down. And finally, he landed, and he turned to Mabel and said, that was amazing. He didn't say a thing. And she said, well, you about had me when you flew upside down and John fell out. But $50 is $50. Now, that's not worth clapping for, but I don't even know how I'm going to work that in. But God tells us, right? $50 is $50. I've given you everything. Everything you have is a gift for me. How are we going to use everything I've given you. We're going to take some time at all of our campuses to just take just a couple minutes, two minutes of reflection. All the worship uh, groups can come up uh, at the different campuses, and I'm going to pray, and then we'll cut to the campuses here in a second. But during this time of reflection, just between you and the Lord, think about that time, again, when he appears, or we die and we see him face to face. Are we going to be able to stand before him with confidence? Again, not, we're not talking about perfection here. We're talking about oh, nothing to hide. Lord, we're not perfect. We've confessed our sins before you. We've grown with you. We've been in your word. We've been in worship. We've connected with other people so there would be accountability there. We've, we've used our gifts We've done everything you called us, not perfectly, but we've done what you called us to. Stand before God with confidence. 
Or would we stand before him kind of in shame? We wasted our time. We put too much emphasis on stuff. We put too much emphasis on our position at work. We gained our significance from a relationship with others instead of a relationship primarily with him. So in these next couple minutes, just take some time to reflect on that. So Father, speak to us as we do that. For those who have trusted in Jesus Christ alone, speak to our hearts. We're going we're gonna to see Jesus one day. We'll, John, John is encouraging us to think about that. Will we stand before him with confidence? Or we kind of want to shrink back in shame? For anyone here, Lord, who does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray that you work in their hearts. And today's the day they realize their sinfulness, their inability to approach you, the living God, on their own. And they trust in Jesus as the only way, not one way or a good way, but the only way to have a relationship with you. So, Lord, do your work among us in these next minutes, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.